Podcast. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westcott demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother. W-I-H-E-S-T-A. That's terrible, Nicolas Cage. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um. <laughs> Today we're discussing a movie from 1987, a Coen Brothers classic, and a centerpiece of Nick Cage Month at Or Whatever Movies, Raising Arizona. Is it a classic? I mean, in the Coen Brothers' body of work. The Coen Brothers, for sure. Kelly Ray turned to me after this movie and is like, so is this the Coen Brothers comedy that you like? And I was like, of the Coen Brothers comedies, if I liked one, because I'm not considering Fargo a comedy. I don't know if you do. This is my favorite. Wait, what about Buster Scruggs? Yes, also Buster Scruggs, which I actually like. But Buster Scruggs has long periods, like the mortal remains, the end, that I don't care about at all. So they did a weird thing. The Coen brothers released Blood Simple, which was a pretty big hit. And then they were like, we want to do the exact opposite. And moving through their career, they tend to do this, where they will do a serious movie, quote unquote, and then a comedy. They're starting to blend a little bit more now. But Raising Arizona is undoubtedly only a comedy and the complete opposite of their debut. You hadn't seen Raising Arizona, I don't think. And I sat Kelly down, and she had seen it at some point, or at least she knew of the premise, and she said, here it is, the original baby-stealing movie. (laughs) Are there others? I don't know. (laughs) But I've seen this movie several times. It's eminently quotable, but I didn't write down a lot of notes. Like, how do you talk about Raising Arizona? It's a weird, weird movie. I I think it's a perfect Nicolas Cage movie because he wholly commits to the wackiness and Holly Hunter is lovely in being Holly Hunter and I think a pitch-perfect foil to him. But uh, other than that, I I don't know how to talk about this movie. I think that's a good point It's um, because you could also just fanboy out about it. People love this movie. I feel like people are obsessed with this movie like they are with The Big Lebowski. Somehow they're like one and the same in my mind. Yeah, because they're like Coen Brothers comedies to me. And while I acknowledge that those movies are good, like people love them and Oh Brother Where Art Thou and stuff, Coen Brothers comedies have never been my thing. Like this movie is funny. Maybe the question is then what do you not like about Raising Arizona? I don't like that it is a screwball comedy that you could see like your racist uncle loving. But and so like you feel weird about liking it at the same time. Is there something icky just about the underlying premise of baby stealing? No, that, that doesn't bother me. But I think that Raising Arizona is a different world, at least for us. It's like Breaking Bad. New Mexico plays no role in our daily lives. It's just a different world than where we live. Also set in the Southwest. The justification for Hyde going on a crime spree. Like, he tries to walk the straight and narrow and, and get with Ed, but... His reasoning is like, it's really hard to be good, you know, with that son of a bitch Reagan in the White House. Like, what does that mean? It's like Wesley at, in Forrest Gump smacks Jenny. It was like, I never meant to hurt you. It's just this lying son of a bitch Johnson. You know, like, what does that mean? 
I, yeah, I mean, that's just what you say when you feel like the world is going to hell in the ha- in the handbasket. Yeah. What does it mean? I mean, maybe this movie is like the hangover in a way where it's kind of more of a character study and like that character is just consistency, like that these characters are so true to themselves and true to their natures. Like Holly Hunter is a law abiding mugshot taken police officer and that's her nature. And though she deviates from that course for a little bit in this movie, she has to ultimately return to kind of the good and moral person who makes sound decisions at the end. And Nick Cage is a is a criminal, and and Gale and Evel is it Evel? They got a name for that, recidivism, <laughs> repeat offender. I need you to quit using big words and talking about raising Arizona. Oh, because this is supposed to be a base level comedy. It, well, it is, but it isn't. The Coen brothers are undoubtedly smart, but the commitment to this movie, this is like mugging for the camera. In a way, like an old style of comedy where they're like, what are their names? Ed and Hi. John Goodman. Oh, oh, oh. Gail and Evel. Gail and Evel. When they realize they lost a baby and they scream for like five <laughs> minutes solid doing like spin outs and going back, just nonstop screaming. <laughs> I can see how this movie could get super annoying. This, by the way, the first movie starring Nicolas Cage and John Forsyth, who plays Evel who is the mustache dude uh, in The Rock. Although the Coen brothers, despite this being a dumber movie than The Rock, maybe not dumber, but it appears dumber on the, it's carefully crafted dumbness, is worlds away from Michael Bay and The Rock. That's true. The only connecting threads being John Forsyth and, of course, Nicolas Cage, our star. Yeah, Nicolas Cage, an interesting choice for this. So the first time that he and, first and last time he and the Coen brothers worked together, right? Yeah, apparently they didn't have a tremendous working relationship because what I found is that the Coen brothers are absolutely meticulous and they are obsessive in their detail. You don't improv with the Coen brothers. And Nicolas Cage, as we all know, is just a little bit wacky. So they butted heads here and there. Mm -hmm. I could see that. He does stay pretty, he's pretty toned down in this though. Like he's a much more muted uh, Nick Cage in this. The high character? Yeah, he's beleaguered. He's not a wild man. Right? I mean, he does crazy things, but he's his character is not reserved. It's just... Handpecked? Well, I don't know. I mean, that comes later, but he was always kind of a chill convenience store robber kind of dude. He's, <laughs> And I have real respect and admiration and uh, affection for H.I. McDonough. He's not the loud, crazy, I lost my hand, I lost my hand, I lost my bride kind of Nicolas Cage. The part that I find just a little bit tiresome after a while, this is the much more understated, doe-eyed, puppy-eyed kind of Nicolas Cage. Yeah, this is like his most blue-eyed, mustachioed movie ever. And he's still got the early Nick Cage bleach blonde thing going. Yeah, it was kind of like blonde and thinning at the same yeah. time somehow. <laughs> and especially wild in this. I could see in the uh, Raising Arizona remake that uh, Nicolas Cage would play the bounty hunter. Kelly Ray took one look at that dude and was like, is that dog the bounty hunter? <laughs> he kind of has a, um, what's that dude from uh, the Mayans and the biker show? Sons of Anarchy, like Charlie Hunnam or something? He, yeah, Sons of Anarchy, but the other guy. I, I have no idea. The guy from the biker movie, from Sons of Anarchy. The guy, the, the guy from the biker movie. <laughs> I, I don't know, I never saw uh, Sons of Anarchy. Mark Boone Jr. He had a Mark Mark Boone Jr. vibe. Sure. (laughs) 
Yeah, so is there supposed to be more meaning to raising Arizona to the Smalls character, to High's kind of revolution revelation at the end? He's he has these like you know somehow visionary dreams. Yeah, those dreams, by the way, and where he's looking far into the future, and his kids that he has with Ed are full grown, the son or the daughter and the husband or whatever, and then they have a bunch of grandkids when they're holding hands at the table. Yeah. How old would you estimate those parents are at the end, the adult kids? 30s and 40s? Yeah, so maybe let's say 35 as a mean. Sure. About how old Raising Arizona is, which means those future dinner scenes are set more or less in our present day. <laughs> Yeah, and how does your age factor into this? But you can't tell because it's Arizona and they still use that crazy like corning wear and junk and it all looks exactly the same then as it does now. <laughs> you don't know. And they're still wearing those like print dresses and stuff with like the butterick pattern. What how much time do you spend in Arizona? <laughs> much. I have recently spent much time in Arizona. Um, I don't see the Raising Arizona Arizona in real Arizona. But then again, I also didn't spend much time in like Nomadland and Quartzite and stuff. <laughs> this is off the beaten path, swingers in trailer parks, Arizona. Yeah, that's the most aggressive he gets. He goes in and he's like doing the flappy hand, holding up the convenience stores. And he's all not gentlemanly, but he's like, you know, not an aggressive dude. But when you talk about his wife, that's when H.I. throws down. And in a way, I think it's more re reactionary to Glenn being a total deeb. Because he is also willfully defying Ed by saying, you know, this is something I got to do. I have to rob this convenience store and put our family in jeopardy. And I have to leave you, Ed, you know, because this is what I need to do. I got to get on the bank heist and stuff. But when it comes to defending his wife against Glenn, then he's all about <laughs> Good point. Looking into deeper meanings of raising Arizona, I'm not sure it's possible or I'm not capable of deciphering. Huh. Because I didn't write anything for this movie. It's just a wacky, fun ride with recurrent themes and stuff that I was surprised to find how much I enjoyed rewatching. I haven't seen it in a few years, but I've seen it a number of times. Just, it's funny, but I don't know why. Yeah. Because it doesn't have many laugh out loud kind of gags. And you wonder when things escalate. It's just, it's maybe it's wholly commitment. Yeah. Like we've talked about in other movies on the Coen Brothers parts, where the simple grocery store robbery becomes a crosstown chase with screaming and dogs. And there's the one part where the cop car is chasing them down the road, and the cop in the car is just boom, 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 and shoot, shooting all throughout the frame. It's just it's it's totally absurd, and the yodel music is going in the background the whole time, and it all comes around, and the lady with the shopping cart and like the shower net or the the permanent hair thing that housewives wear to the grocery store and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, the curlers. And, yeah, and Kelly Ray's like, why are all, like why are all the dogs running? And I was like, because the one dog broke free in the yard and then they all followed suit but they become useful because they like tackle someone that was about to like stop his chase or whatever don't they tackle one of the clerks or something mm, they definitely get involved somehow. it all comes around i mean I, I guess so the tension is mounting they're layering in all the different obstacles the chasing gets very layered and somehow a package of huggies diapers is at the center of all of it Right. It's the craziest chase scene ever committed to film. 
Yeah, and I guess it brings us to the larger question is, is there deeper meaning to Arizona or is it kind of faux philosophical in a way that makes you think that there's something there, but it's really just a screwball comedy and a commitment to different and various character studies? Like I keep on going back to the the dude at the machine shop where he's talking about Bill Parker. Not that mother scratcher, Bill Parker. (laughs) And he's and he's talking so gleefully and committedly about about his story, and he's chewing his gum, and he's like, and he's got the fucking head in the other. <laughs> and you have no idea what he's talking about or what it means, except high definitely doesn't, and it probably doesn't really mean anything other than that. You think that this guy is strange, but you know, kind of somewhere deep down, that there are lots of people who are like him. Oh, absolutely. And you call you said taking Arizona seriously. I assume you mean raising Arizona. But in general, I don't know if Arizona can be taken seriously either. It's the perfect setting for this movie where all bets are kind of off. Like, I'm sure that, A, that dude exists. I'm sure the Bill Parkers of the world exist. I'm sure that dude had a fully scripted story, uh, only part of which he was relaying during that scene with High, who's barely listening. I think we even have his inner inner monologue over that dude's speech right some of it yeah and 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 i don't know if it's profound or not i just maybe it's true and maybe there's profundity in truth and that is the strength of raising arizona despite all its inanity and and ridiculousness wackiness so are you saying there's profundity and truth in the character's representation that these all these people coming together might be a little unrealistic but in real life they're real I guess so, because in all things, there's truth, and there's certainly logic in everything that Nathan Arizona, a.k.a. Nathan Huff Hines, does, and yet his, like, homespun wisdom holds true, you know? If a frog had wings, it wouldn't bump its ass a hopping. (laughs) He's, like, a patently ridiculous character, but he also has (laughs) real trauma, and he and his wife lost a baby, one of many babies, even though it was returned. But we don't care about the horror that they experience when they lose young Nathan Jr., right? It's all about the fun and adventure. And I don't know that the deeper themes allow. It's just like if there's a screwball caper comedy uh, for Americans, this has got to be it. And yet there are those really interesting moments of truth with Nathan Arizona Sr. I mean, there are plenty of people who would choose to buy unpainted furniture to save a few bucks. (laughs) Right. Which sounds really inefficient to me. It's like, just get it painted because you're actually never going to paint it. Right. You're going to have unpainted furniture for the rest of your life. Wait. okay. so this is a thing in the Southwest. Um, I get that there's a rustic vibe. I thought that it was unpainted because it was rustic feeling. No. Like it doesn't. You're supposed to paint it. It's um, why would you buy unpainted furniture so that you can customize it to fit your decor, but also so that you can save money. Uh, You got to say that in the in the Nathan, Arizona voice. So you can fit your decor. (laughs) And I think that there are plenty of people who would do that to buy unpainted furniture to save a few bucks, right? Because they know they can get those rock bottom prices with Nathan Arizona. But also Nathan Arizona is hard as nails. When he sits down across the table from Smalls, I don't know. That is a test of wills or maybe a testament two wills like they are yep. perfectly matched in this really bizarre way i was like dude check out the rocks on nathan arizona <laughs> See, 
Because Smalls is pretty terrifying. Terrifying. And Nathan Arizona is unflinching. Yeah. And then he has the most touching monologue or dialogue. I mean, he's the closest thing to voicing some kind of message or theme for this movie at the end. Yeah. Pretty complex character, in my opinion, which is kind of weird to say. Is Smalls a complex character? Well, Smalls is a is just a symbol of the apocalypse and all the things that could go wrong. That's your boy. Who? Randall Cobb? Yeah. What do you mean? He was the long-headed forehead dude in The Golden Child. <laughs> Trying to prevent the golden child from leaving the cage. He's like wearing a robe. I, I, like the picture in my mind, he's like wearing a robe or something. Yeah. And he's like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. He's kind of a Neanderthal. Yeah. Wow. And the worst part, the worst part about all of it, uh, Smalls is terrifying in spite of his little booties attached to his belt or whatever. Oh, those are, yeah, those just amplify the terror. Do you see how he made that cigarillo and that match appear out of thin air? Yeah. And he nailed that bunny on the side of the road. Yeah, and he the lizard. He drove over the fountain. It's pretty bad, yeah, <laughs> with, with the shotgun. Yeah. That dude, Smalls, what's his name? Randall Tex Cobb. Yeah, 36 years old. When he played Smalls? Yep, I'm a full 10 years older than that dude. <sighs> You're, you're so And obsessed. I'm pretty sure that if I sat down opposite him, I'd be able to talk him down, too. You think so? And being being his elder. <laughs> you think you could ne- neutralize that situation? Yep. What's he going to do? Shoot me? I mean. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, well, I don't know. You Maybe you're not cute and innocent enough for him to shoot you. Oh. I mean, I'm not saying you're not cute. Yeah. You want, so ready to make it weirder? Yeah. Randall Tex Cobb, far younger than me. How old do you figure Nathan Arizona Sr. to be Mm. in this movie? You're about to be obsessed. He has little babies, so he can't be over, you know, 40. Well, they do things different in Arizona. But when this movie was released, he was 39 years old, considerably younger than us both. Nathan Arizona. Easy on the considerably. You could consider 39, like early 40s. It's kind of the same difference. Man, but he's like sun-withered Arizona old, right? All out of touch and stuff. I don't know, jammies. They had Yodas and shit on them. (laughs) Yeah, they start questioning him. That was pretty hilarious. He gets all defensive. But, I mean, they age differently in the 80s. And in Arizona, and right. Florence was she like had her hair all done up and had those like grandma glasses and stuff. Well, how old is Dot? The amazing Frances McDormand. Mm-hmm. She was a mere thirty years old in this movie. No way. Yeah, dude. They all look like grandmas. Yeah, they kind of do. I mean, maybe that's just like the that was the that was what was fashionable in Arizona at the time. But what a different character for Frances McDormand. I mean, basically just like a makeup elevated version of her Fargo character. We all love Frances McDormand. And I dare say most people love Holly Hunter, who's kind of awesome. She's great in this. And I love how she how Dot works Ed up into a frenzy. They start talking <laughs> about college and, and vaccinations. Dip yeah, dip tests. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm, I don't know that you do the Diptet anymore. I know that they have all these like combo vaccines, but I'm not sure if that's still a one. Do you know that you can be vaccinated for chicken pox now? Uh, welcome to the club. I've been vac. Well, actually, wait a minute. No, I did not know that. I knew. <laughs> I know that if you have it, then you're okay, right? Uh, yes, you're okay. You you won't get chicken pox again. But if you have it, that means that you're susceptible to shingles later on. If you've had it. Everyone who's had chicken pox can potentially get shingles. shingles. Yeah, which is supposed to be gnarlier and way worse 
than chicken pox. But we, when we were growing up, chicken pox was just a rite of passage. Like you, you know, just yeah. get it over with. It's like, it was like the forerunner to uh, COVID parties. People were like, well, you know, she's got chicken pox. Just go get it and get it over with. Do you remember that? Crazy. Yes, I was in that position. And it's like being locked in the room with like Reagan from The Exorcist. It's like, I'm supposed to get infected by you? It seems absurd. Oh, it's totally um, absurd. And, but also, I don't think anyone ever died from chicken pox, did they? Mm, I, I mean, unless you were like severely compromised in some other way, maybe. It was more that just the topical, you know, manifestation of it, which which was so gnarly. But it was just like a thing you did. You got chicken pox, you got it over with. And now you don't have to get chicken pox anymore. Like my girls are vaccinated and will likely never have to have chicken pox. And they'll be spared Good. all of the random chicken pox scars. See? Yeah. You're a modern mom, though. <laughs> but people survived. People survived differently in the 80s when we used to ride in the back of trucks, you know. My, you know, cut yourself, Mordecai. And those kids were snotty-nosed and... Oh, yeah. You mean the ones that were... Bearers of disease. The ones that ride on your lap in the station wagon? Yeah. Heads up, boy. Throw gravel at them and stuff. Throw gravel. Yeah, that was us, despite not living in Arizona. <laughs> yeah, that car seat was, like, just such a joke. <laughs> It was like a, it was like a cushion, but it held them in because they were doing burnouts. Yeah, I love how she's talking to um, Nathan Jr. the whole time. Like, all right, let's go get Daddy. Um, how yeah. does I have a question for you? In the, at the end, when they, uh, I think when they're returning Nathan Jr. Yeah. How does she get the cop car? She's already tendered her badge. Did she? I never saw her officially retire. Well, he she's says an officer it. Officer of the law, twice decorated. Yeah, yeah, but then she, so they. You know, they're they're barren and they can't have children and she loses all will to live live and she stops cleaning the house and she tenders her badge. Well, no, he says she tended her bed Mm. as in she retreated to her bed. I think I think she quit. Tendered her badge, dude. Tended her bed. Now I got to look it up. I'm looking it up, too. Come on. Soon after she tendered her badge. Damn it. See, this is one of those Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark moments where as a kid, I heard the cadence and the inflection of these phrases <laughs> and believed I had them down. It's like Saturday Night Fever where they're talking about drugs and sex and we have no idea. <laughs> Ten, I thought it was like an Arizona, like a Southwest expression. And soon after, tended her bed. <laughs> well, she's, well, you know, for context, she's sitting on her bed. Oh, and man. she's got clothes scattered all around her. But he says that she resigned from from the police department. <sighs> man, learning new things live on air every day. So I'm saying if she's done. How she gets the cop car. Right. And also, it's important. It's an important story point because she can't lawfully commit kidnapping as an officer of the law. So she it's important. It's important that she resigns and then they commit the crime. Right now, and now she's a criminal. But then, at the very end, for I, I think the final set piece, they're in a cop car. I would like to specify she was never formally charged with any crime of any sort, neither she nor H.I. It's true. Nathan Senior doesn't press charges. He's very, very forgiving in that way. I don't know that Mrs. Arizona might have been quite so forgiving, although she's out of the picture as soon as the kidnapping happens. You know, which is a testament to his good nature. Like he's, you know, and he wants them to stay together. He want, you know, like he was never set up as a bad dude, but he's certainly a, a good dude. And the and the mouthpiece of like the theme and the moral of this story, which is like I don't know, family and love. This is Arizona, the family man. 
available now at or whatever movies. <laughs> Not part of Nicolas Cage month, but another Nicolas Cage selection nonetheless. Yeah, as Christmassy a movie as Rambo, I mean as First Blood. <laughs> so how did they get the cop car? I have no idea. All right, I'm just saying, a little weird. A little. This movie is an anomaly. Like it doesn't, it's a comedy for sure. And that's really all that I can definitively say about this movie. Does it stand as a testament to the Coen brothers and their ability to shift, to make total direction shifts? It's like if this is the sophomore outing, if this is the, uh, you know, their second album, does it behoove them to be tonally, totally inconsistent and just go in a completely different direction and risk alienating the fan base or the, you know, the sort of cachet that you've built up? It's risk-taking, and I suppose Nicolas Cage had nothing to lose. And despite the fact that he may have bumped heads with the Coen brothers, I think he's perfectly cast. I think this whole movie is perfectly cast. We didn't talk a lot about John Goodman and John Forsythe, um, but those characters were like the most Raising Arizona characters ever, right? <laughs> All like screaming and greasy and wearing way too much denim. Yeah, kind of way too much denim and, and hair grease. And pomade? Yeah. They were the slightly, they were the comic versions of Smalls the Bounty Hunter. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised that they didn't team up at the end. Yeah, I think the moral of the story just kind of comes down to babies are really lovable. And when you, <laughs> when it comes down to it, you all want them and you all want to do right by them. And I guess there are some, I, I guess there's evil in the world that might want to exploit them. But otherwise, right? they're the bomb. And, yep. you know, I think that's probably as fair a meaning to ascribe to raising Arizona than any. It's love yeah. and family and babies. And that's our review on raising <sighs> Arizona. You're getting a what from Wes? I don't know. I'll give Raising Arizona an all right. It's a little bit too wacky, and I don't really have the comedy gene. It doesn't. I, it, it bounces off of me a little bit. But the distinction of being one of two Coen Brothers comedies that I like, come at me, bro. And a good from Iris. That's our discussion on Raising Arizona. An interesting character study, too, for our main character and focus of Nicolas Cage Month. Dare I say a worthy inclusion? A worthy inclusion as a, a bit of an anomaly, not only as a movie, but as a as a role and as a character for Nicolas Cage. We hope that you've enjoyed this review on Raising Arizona. If you did, please give us a five-star rating wherever you get podcasts. Please support us on Patreon. Please follow us on social media at or whatever movies or hit us up and let us know what you think about Raising Arizona at 818-835-0473 or whatever movies at gmail. Dot com. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Okay, then. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Electricast.
electric acid.